0: Um, let's read the first couple of verses of Amos, and we'll kind of talk about uh, the setting of the book and so forth. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep from Zechoah, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Alright, so who wrote this? Thanks. And what do we know about him? Yes, shepherd from yes. we know his name, we know what he, his vocation was, and we know where he was from. That's uh, about it. We'll see some personal things about him a little bit in chapter 7 but we really don't know a lot about him do you know where Tekoa was? Mm-hmm. about 12 miles south of Jerusalem Tekoa is mentioned in a few passages in Second Samuel 14 maybe the, uh, the wise woman from Tekoa there maybe the most noteworthy and a few other passages as well uh, so he was from the southern kingdom. He's from Judah. He was uh, a shepherd, a herdsman, uh, was his vocation. So he was not a professional prophet. You know, they had almost uh, prophetic training programs and things like that. And the sons of the prophets. But he wasn't one of those. He wasn't, uh, you know, he he just saw these visions and, and had this uh, commission from the Lord... For the specific things he was going to do, but it wasn't his uh, general occupation. Um, who was Amos uh, prophesying to? Israel. Yeah, Israel and and Judah, although more Israel. Um, and in the in the time period of Isaiah and Judah and Jeroboam. Uh, Jeroboam the second in Israel. Um, what do you know about that time period of Isaiah and Jeroboam the second? Was
1: prophesied
0: during that time? All right, it is the time when Hosea prophesied. Also, the time of another Old Testament writing prophet. Who was that who prophesied in the days of Jeroboam the second? Jonah. Very good. Uh, and you see that in 2 Kings 14 um, What do you know about um, the general conditions of the country in Isaiah Jeroboam's time? Very well. Very well in terms economically, politically. Both Jeroboam and Isaiah were relatively strong kings. They expanded the borders of their countries. They uh, had good military, good fortifications. Uh, it was it was a prosperous time. Um, there are probably some uh, international reasons for that if you were looking at this from a historical standpoint. Up to the time, let's say, immediately prior to the time of Isaiah and Jeroboam the Who seemed to be the biggest enemy, especially of Israel, the northern kingdom? You know, who had had been kind of the most recent big enemy of the northern kingdom? During the days of Ahab and Jehoash, Jehoash and some of those guys. Aram, or Syria, depending on your translation. But at this point in time, Aram and Syria was starting to diminish somewhat their influence. Assyria was growing in power. And so really at this point, there wasn't as much uh, international barrier to Israel and Judah, you know, expanding their territory and doing well. You know, when you've got a weaker... Uh, you know, uh, in a nation near you, uh, then then it kind of gets the pressure off of you. And at this point, Aram and Aram or Syria would have been more concerned about the Assyrian threat than they were about trying to mess with Israel. Uh, so, from a from a political standpoint, this was a good time uh, for Israel and Judah. How about uh, morally and spiritually? How were the reigns of Uzziah and Jeroboam? They weren't good. They weren't good. You probably have to qualify that a little bit in terms of Uzziah. He actually was good until what?
1: He going to do the own, his own thing in the temple.
0: Yes. That. God blessed him and prospered him until he grew strong enough that his heart became proud and then he went to the temple. Remember what he went into the temple to do? Offer incense. Offer oh, incense. Do you remember what the priest told him? Can't do that. Yeah, it's not for you. It's not your job. And he stubbornly insisted on doing it anyway. Yes, remember how the leprosy broke out on his forehead and spread, and he lived in quarantine and in separate quarters for the rest of his life. Uh, and so he turned out to be bad. Jeroboam was pretty much bad all the way through. In fact, there were no good kings in the northern kingdom. None of them abandoned the sin of Jeroboam I, with the golden calf worship at Dan and Bethel. You could be more specific about the date of this, What's the more specific date statement? Two years before the earthquake. Two years before the earthquake. What? Ah, that is the question. Probably the earthquake that's mentioned in Zechariah 14, many years later. Like, wow, how many years later? Two or three hundred years later. Uh, in Zechariah 14:5. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So, probably that earthquake. And, uh,
2: is that all we
1: know
0: about it? Uh, it is biblically. It's
1: probably more than we know about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, some suggest that there was a big earthquake in this area uh, between about 765 and 760. If, in fact, that's the earthquake, then this would have been written in that time period, two years before, uh, the earthquake. I mean, obviously, they knew about the earthquake. I mean, every nation, every region has its special dates based upon meteorological events. I mean, you guys mostly are too young, but maybe a few of us aren't to remember the horrible day of tornadoes? 74. Yeah. April of 74. Now, you don't know remember that? You were not that young back then. But everywhere I've been, lived, from Indianapolis to Alabama, they talk about that day. Everywhere I've lived, somewhere close to there. Homes were destroyed and property damaged on that one day in 1974. So anybody my age, I remember seeing the tor- the end of a tornado, the kind of the, the uh, rear uh, of the tornado. And, and uh, you know, remember what I was doing that day. You know, it's a big day for those people who are old enough to, you know, be my age or whatever. And uh, so so two years before the earthquake, probably that meant a lot to them. It may be that the earthquake also is symbolic of judgment. Maybe, you know, this earthquake was supposed to shake them up a little bit in more ways than one. All right, comments and questions on introductory stuff and on this first verse. How do you know it's written to both, or why do you... I say it because he mentions both the king of Judah and the king of Israel
1: just
0: using Israel as generic, then? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Um, I I would say that this was mostly to Israel. It is is more to the northern kingdom than the southern kingdom. But the fact that he mentions Isaiah, king of Judah, I would think is an indication that Judah is... At least somewhat envisioned. There's also some things in the content of the book that would make me think that. Um, but I do think it's more to the Northern Kingdom. So I, that makes it I, I, Israel sometimes can be both, even in prophetic writings. I'm not sure in this case. Now in verse two, you know, here's here's the visions he sees. Here's the uh, what he's what he's um, um, revealing. He's revealing that the Lord is roaring from Zion. Uh, when you think about a roar, what do you usually think about? Probably not a car. In you know their context, lion, a lion, and I think that's the idea. A lion roaring does what to you? Scared. Absolutely, and that very much fits Amos <coughs> also, right? What was Amos' background? Shepherd. I bet a lion roaring was not a pleasant sound to him. <clears throat> and the idea is the Lord is upset. He's angry and he's roaring. His covenant has been violated. and He's got a message of judgment, a message that dries up uh, Mount Carmel and the shepherds' pasture grounds. Now, it's interesting to me where the Lord roared from. Where? Zion, that is, Jerusalem. And not from where? Well, yes, but I think more importantly in their context, the Lord on earth roars from Jerusalem. He doesn't roar from? Dan and Bethel where they had set up the alternative worship sites but the Lord was not present there he doesn't roar from Samaria the capital of the northern kingdom or from Gilgal or Beersheba places where they'd set up you know, idol worship centers the Lord roars from Jerusalem that's the the city where he has uh, taken for his uh, dwelling place so, that's sort of a glimpse of what this is going to be all about Amos is the roaring of the lion. (laughs) Alright, comments and questions on the first two verses. Alright, Amos then does something different than um, the other prophets, at least to do it in this much detail. That is, he starts out, by judgments on the nations. Now, a book like Zephaniah, or, or, well, at least Zephaniah sort of starts that way, but very briefly, really. Uh, this in detail. Uh, now, some other prophets do have sections of judgments against various nations. What are some of the prophets that have sections where they identify various nations and have judgment oracles against them? Isaiah. Isaiah. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And two more. Obadiah, it. Obadiah is about a nation, but Jeremiah doesn't divide them. Jeremiah and Zephaniah. All, all five of these have sections of judgment prophecies. There's some other things that might sort of count for that, but those five, I think, it kind of in this sort of a framework. Now, he's going to have seven of these. Uh, here in chapters 1 and 2 they all follow the same basic framework, you'll see that Uh, you know, you read one you feel like you kind of get deja vu as you read others but that kind of lets you know where you are it's kind of a pattern structure there's some some variations a little bit but there's the same basic outline and there are some basic concepts that these judgment oracles against the nations teach for one Nations are accountable to God for what they do. You know, God has basic moral requirements. Not just for Israel, but for every nation. And we will see in these judgment oracles, God is concerned about human rights in every nation. Uh, You see, God is active in history. Not just Israel's history, but in the history of the nations uh, of the world. The fact that God has a special relationship with Israel doesn't mean he's relinquished his role as the sovereign Lord of the universe. Every nation in the world answers to God, and that was true even in the Old Testament period, and this makes them see that. Um, Now, he's going to do some other things that we'll see as we go through this. This has kind of got a uh, particular pattern to it, but we'll kind of look at that as we go. So do you have anything you want to say before we actually get into these judgment oracles uh, of the nations? All right, 3 to 5.
1: Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon, and Ham who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, so the people of Aram will go and exile, go exiled to Kerr,
0: says the Lord. All right, we're dealing with which nation here?
2: Damascus.
0: Damascus is the city. Aram or Syria is the nation.
2: That's the capital?
0: Damascus, I think, was the capital. It is now. I guess it was then. I'm not positive about that, but, uh... And this is the one
2: that... Was there any Yes, now as Syria
0: is? And they don't really have any enemies real strongly right now that are just really pestering them a whole lot. But, yes, you're right. Aram or Syria had been public enemy number one in the life of Jeroboam II's dad, grandpa, and great-grandpa. Um... You know, you kind of go through phases of Israelite history in terms of what their biggest enemy was. In prior times, say in the United Kingdom period, the biggest enemy was who? The Philistines. <laughs> the Philistines. But then they were sort of eclipsed by Syria, and eventually it will be Assyria. though Syria probably isn't bothering Israel and Judah too much yet you know, when Amos was speaking. Uh, and Aram and Syria, it depends on your translation, uh, some of them will translate Aram, some of them will translate Syria. In the New American Standard, it depends on whether or not you have the old edition or the updated edition. The old edition has Syria, the updated edition uh, generally has Aram. Uh, but it means the same thing, so you just got to remember that. Where was Aram in relationship to Israel? Northwest. Northwest. Northeast, yeah. Kind of up in that direction to the northeast. Um and what well obviously God's gonna punish uh the Arameans for three transgressions and they even added to that a fourth. It's kind of a pattern he uses. You know, three would have been enough, but man, it's gone even beyond that. Uh what's he upset with them for? The first yes, with implements of sharp iron <laughs> Uh, Gilead means what?
1: In like what area? Yes, it's west of the Jordan.
0: Mm, east
2: of, east of, the Jordan.
0: of the Jordan. The two and a half tribes. Right of, the to the right of the, right Jordan. Of the Jordan. Yeah, I, you know <laughs> I've gotten to where I just use right and left. It's easier. You know, it took me years to learn my right from my left. I always remembered I wore my watch on my left hand. But I've actually gotten to where it's pretty natural to me. But looking at a map and saying east and west isn't still. Uh, You know, so right and left uh, works better for me. But right to the right of the Jordan is Gilead. Now, think about where Aram was. The part of Israel that they would come to first would be Gilead right below them. And guess what? When they fought against with Ahab and Jehoash Jehoash and so forth, it was generally in the Gilead region. They were fighting over Gilead. Remember where Ahab actually lost his life? It was in a battle in what city? Somebody ought to remember that. Where was it that Ahab lost his life? He was killed by a random arrow when they were battling over what city? You remember? Ariel? Okay. Yes, Raymond Gilead. Yeah, Raymond Gilead. When you read about like Raymond Gilead, or you know there were other Gilead towns like Jabish Gilead, and so forth. The city. Yes. Yeah. It's like saying New Salisbury, Indiana. It's hyphenated, but it's Ramoth of the territory of Gilead. I didn't know that. Well, hey, you learned something.
1: (laughs) All right, let's go home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, that's where they kept doing their fighting. That's where the Arameans were guilty of various atrocities committed by kings like Hazel and some of the Ben-Hadads, of which there were several. You remember um, when... Uh, Haziel was anointed by somebody, anointed by either Elisha or a servant of Elisha, anointed by Elisha, I think. Anyhow, that Elisha wept over all the atrocities that were going to occur that Haziel was going to to inflict upon the Israelites. They were very cruel during that period of time, because when he when he says they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. Don't assume we're talking about they plowed up the land. The, the point is, they're treating people like they were plowing up the land. They're torturing and killing people, treating people like things. God is remembered. And God is going to punish Aram for the atrocities committed against Gilead, against the people of Gilead, which actually belonged to Israel, but you know at different times the Arameans came in and took parts of that. So that's, that's the reason for the punishment. Now what was God going to do against the Arameans?
2: He's going to send fire and destroy
0: them. Which was his preferred method of punishment in these judgment oracles. There's <laughs> lots of fire. And uh, what all was he going to destroy? In the out. Now, the citadels refer to what? The towers. And the... Palaces. uh, Yes. I think the idea is we're taking the centers of political and military importance. The citadels, the bars of the gates, um, and, and in some cases through here, the palaces, and destroying them. If a fortress cannot withstand the Lord's attack, then you know the rest of the nation can't. It would be the the hardest thing to to destroy. So, and do you notice the I will. I will not revoke. I will send. I will break. God will come down and destroy the Arameans, or at least punish them severely. And what was he actually going to do with the Aramean people? And what was he going to do with the people? Oh, they were going to, exile. to? They were going to go to Kerr. Now look at 2 Kings 16.9. That's actually what happened, believe it or not.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, well that surprises you. But in 2 Kings 16.9, So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to Kerr, and put Reson to death. So there's your historical fulfillment in 2 Kings 16.9. The Assyrians took the Arameans to Kerr. Now, here's the $64,000 question. What, is the, what was the previous the prior relationship of Aram and Kerr? Anybody know? Nobody read Amos last night, did they? Look at Amos 9 and verse 7. This is fascinating. To me, anyway. Amos 9, 7. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? This is a really cool passage we'll look at eventually, perhaps. Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from captor and the Arameans from Kerr? Now, what this is saying is Israel's not unique in having an exodus where they were brought up from one nation to another place as their kind of homeland. God had also delivered the Philistines and brought them from Kaphthore over to where the land they occupied there on the Mediterranean coast. And he brought the Arameans from Kir. So, if God sends the Arameans in exile to Kerr, he's sending them back where they came from. They're reverting to their place of origin. He's reversing the history. And that's just interesting in the sense that, do you see how God is in charge? When God decided to, he brings the Arameans up from Kerr and settles them over there around Damascus. And then when they've committed enough atrocities, he takes them through the Assyrians and sends them back to Kerr. You know, in a sense, the nations are kind of like, you know, pieces on the chessboard. you know. You can, well, you've got certain pieces on the chess board, you can actually send them back where they came from, not if it's pawn or something. But. So that's, that's what the Lord's going to do to the Arameans. Comments and questions on those verses? So they
2: were in... Kerr, like the Israelites were in Egypt, so they didn't belong there and then he took them out of
0: Don't know about that they may have originated there, I don't know that he's talking about where they originated, in a sense, where did Israel originate? Egypt, Egypt. I, You know, it depends on how you look at it, but, but Israel became a nation in Egypt, so, so I don't know about that, but, but I know they came from Kerr to Damascus, he took them out of Kerr and, and gave them the Damascus region <laughs> anything else Do verse 5 did you
2: mention Ben-Hadad in verse 4 like, is
0: that person? Ben-Hadad was a throne name for some of the Aramean kings uh, somebody can help me on this I think I'm right Hadad was the name of uh, an Aramean god right I believe I'm right about that. Or maybe even kind of a general god from that territory. And so the various kings of Aram would take the throne name of Ben-Hadad. Ben means son of, so they'd be like the son of Hadad. They're the son of this god. And there were several Ben-Hadads, kind of like we do, sort of with some other things, Except, well, sort of like we do with like Pharaoh, except Pharaoh was always the name of the Egyptian emperor. Ben-Hadad wasn't always the name of a Syrian king, so they'd been be like Ben-Hadad the first, Ben-Hadad the II, second, Ben-Hadad the third, kind of like we do with the popes. You know, there's a bunch of different popes, or the Louis in France, or something like that. They take, you know, the name they wanted, but a lot of times they wanted the name Ben-Hadad, indicating they're the son of this god. That's all I know about that. Maybe a little bit more than I knew about that.
1: And Haziel is also a king.
0: Hazel was a king. He was actually, he took over from one of the Ben-Hadads. He was actually an uh, uh, army officer. Remember how um, he was sent to Elisha, I believe, to find out, sent by Ben-Hadad to find out if Ben-Hadad was going to recover from some sickness. And the word was, yeah, but he'll die. <laughs> Because Hazel ended up covering up him up with like a cloth or whatever and smothered him to death and took over. Okay. Yeah, okay. somewhere back there. What
1: about the Valley of Avon? The inhabitant from the Valley of Avon, is that obviously an area?
0: It obviously is, yeah. but I don't know anything about it. Avon means nothingness, I think, or something like that. But. And,
1: and him holds the scepter? Yeah, Beth Easton, in other words, the ruler. The ruler from...
0: The House of Eden. I don't know what it, Eden that means. Place. Okay. That place. place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some places I know about, some I don't.
1: <coughs> and then it just kind of sums it up, so the people of Aram will go exiled, because you're getting rid of the Speaker and the... Yeah, it's
0: kind of the climax of the punishment. Not only is he going to... You know, destroy the governing officials and destroy the citadels and the gate bar, but he's actually going to send them off into captivity or off into exile. Anything else? All right, 6 to 8.
2: Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the walls of Gaza, and it will consume her citadels, and I will also cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, and I will even unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord God.
0: Now we're talking about which nation here? Philistines. The Philistines. Um, which direction from Israel was Philistia? West, west, southwest. Where had uh, Aram been? North. Northeast. So we're going to go. So we're going from one compass uh, extreme to the opposite one, and interestingly, dealing with the two nations that had been the perennial enemies, most recently Aram, before that the Philistines. So these are two long-term enemy nations and in both cases, and in some others here, he deals mostly with the cities That makes it more concrete. Which cities of the Philistines does he mention? Gaza, Gaza, Ashdod, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ashkelon and? Ekron. How many cities did the Philistines have? Uh Which one's missing? Gath. Gath. Now interestingly, Gath is also omitted in lists in Jeremiah, Zephaniah, and Zechariah that mention all the other four. That's probably significant. And I suspect it means that Gath wasn't a city there anymore. That Gath had been destroyed and not recovered. We read about Gath being defeated by Isaiah in 2 Chronicles 26.6. Some of the other cities, though, were destroyed by him, too. But I wonder if Gath was never rebuilt. I don't know. It's just interesting to me that all those lists don't mention that one. No big deal. Uh, by the way, Gath is most famous for one of its uh, prior citizens who was Goliath. That? Goliath. Um, and if you want to remember the five Philistine city-states, there's two A's, two G's, and an E: Ashkelon and Ashdod, Gaza and Gath, and Ekron.
2: So, oh, yeah, that helped me. <laughs>
0: Well How about Gaga E? Gaga Gaga yeah. E gaga. A gag Yeah, I don't know. Spelt gauge wrong, it wouldn't work. <laughs> All right. Um and what was he upset with the Philistines for here?
2: Deportation.
0: Yes, deporting an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. Um, So God is concerned with abusing people for profit. You know, God is concerned about, you know, human rights. And it's just not right for them to come in and sell people to the Edomites. Um, I don't think God would have been very impressed with the way uh, slaves had been made in this country, where people were just sort of captured and sold. You know, it's kidnapping, and it's wrong. And so what they were doing was cruel and wrong. And God was going to do basically the same thing he'd said with the Arameans, send fire on the wall, consume the citadels, cut off the inhabitants, cut off the one who holds the scepter, you know, very much the same kind of things he'd said about the Arameans. How do you suppose the Israelites would have viewed these two judgment oracles against Aram and against the Philistines? Yes. You go, God. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Amos would have been a popular preacher at this point. Kind of like it is in our day, you always like to hear preaching against your enemies. Comments and questions?
2: And he punishes them a little bit more because they're going to perish as opposed to the Syrians just went into exile?
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: not even going
0: to be a problem
1: anymore if they want Yeah, whatever. Were they ever like historically
0: just completely wiped out? Mm, I don't know about that and I don't know that we ought to take passages like this like that. Um (laughs) Because of passages like Zephaniah 2. Um, Well, the end of it. I don't know. Maybe that's not a problem. I don't know. I'm thinking, where is there a passage? Maybe that's not the one I'm thinking of. seems to me there's a passage somewhere that indicates there's hope for... The remnant of the Philistines. But uh, let's think about where that's at. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's not, so. Which Okay. I'll just leave it at that. Still think there is though. How about this? It's always hard to remember where you read something, you know. Um, yeah. Zephaniah 9, that's what I'm thinking about. Ze- or Zachariah 9. <laughs> one of them Z books Zechariah 9 is a prophecy against the Philistines and Zechariah 9 7 and I will remove their blood from their mouth and their detestable things from between their teeth then they also will be a remnant for our God and be like a clan in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite in other words they're sort of being incorporated into the people of God so that makes me think we shouldn't force this statement in Amos too forcefully. Anything else? These next couple are slightly briefer. Uh, there's kind of a shortened version and a prolonged version of these judgment articles. 9 and 10.
2: Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four I will not revoke its punishment because they delivered up an entire population of Edom, and did not remember the covenant of the brotherhood. So I will send fire upon the wall of Tyre and it will consume her cities.
0: Okay. Uh, Looking at who here? Tyre. City of Tyre. The area would be called what? Not called it here, but what would we call the area of Tyre? Phoenicia would work, maybe Lebanon, either of those. Uh, Tyre was a city and maybe the surrounding area is being talked about as well. Uh, in what direction from Israel is Tyre? North. north slightly north-west, west. kind of north-northwest. So <coughs> we've kind of gone from here to there, up to there. Uh, and what was the relationship typically between Tyre and Israel? Yeah, more friendly. They had their moments, but they were more friendly. In fact, Jeroboam's great-grandma. Right? I still, Am I still thinking right? I think I am. Uh, or am I? No, wait a minute, I'm wrong. Anyhow. No. But, you know still the I'm but uh, but the the area of, of Tyre was generally more of an ally or a trading partner or at least on civil terms with Israel. So we've gone from looking at maybe you know an just enemy nations to looking at a somewhat friendly nation. What's got upset with Tyre? Same
1: thing.
0: Yeah, delivering up this entire population to Edom, you know, slave trade, and not remembering the covenant of brotherhood. God is uh, concerned about treaties and, and agreements that nations make, and he watches over those to make sure they're kept faithfully which should be a real frightening thing to uh, governments and nations in our society, in our time, where it seems like covenants are made to be broken, but God God intends for even nations like Tyre to keep their agreements. And uh, because they didn't, because they were cruel, uh, then God was going to send fire on their wall and consume their citadels. Uh, which is a more abbreviated version of the punishment, but that certainly gets the job done. Comments and questions?
1: It doesn't mention what nations that they had you know, oppressed. One of those. It does not. And back to the other one one time. What, the five cities of Philistines are mentioned where? During the historical account of the battles with them, and then later on in these prophecies, these prophets are not mentioned. Is that pattern, or or how does that work?
0: Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any prophets that mention all five of them. I can't think of one. But definitely in the historical narratives, we've got references to all five of the cities. Even called? It's clear that they're Philistine cities, in you know, the references. But I don't know if there's like one passage that lists all five of them. I Isn't
1: there? Aren't they called something? I mean, besides the five cities or the five. They're kind of like five city states, but I thought they had another name that they used to the Philistines. The was there five kings or five?
0: Yeah. Okay. You kind of have that like with uh, the offensive against Saul that David was semi-involved with. You had kind of like the the different kings, but there was a different
1: province or king or something that they each represented or something
0: like that, I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, I think that's basically right, but I don't know. There was a special no move for them. I don't know. Somebody know that? Yeah, I don't know. All right. <laughs> All right. other thoughts and comments on anything through 10? 11 and 12.
2: Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword while he stifled his compassion. His anger also tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon him, and it will consume the citadels of Osirah.
0: So we're talking about who here? Edom. <laughs> what direction was Edom? Southeast. Southeast. So we've gone from northeast, southwest, northwest, southeast, kind of like a buzzard word circle, and uh, and we've come to Edom, which is an enemy nation. But where did the Edomites come from? Esau. Esau. Yes. So this is like a cousin nation. Uh, of Israel, and uh, but but historically hostile to Israel. What's Edom being condemned for?
1: Accepting all these slaves from the other Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, Edom's uh, cruelty, pursuing his brother with the sword. I wonder if that meant Israel, the brother here, uh, but certainly not compassionate. To him. Being angry and relentless hostility. Uh, I like this idea of he pursued his brother with a sword. Do you remember Genesis twenty seven forty? Uh the prophecy that Je- that that Isaac gives to Esau after Esau lost out on the better blessing. And uh in Genesis twenty seven forty, By your sword you shall live. Well, that's that's a fulfillment. This is a fulfillment of that. You know, Edom's living by the sword. And uh So still, I think that the Israelites would be pleased overall with these judgment oracles to this point. Since Edom was certainly, even though they were a cousin nation, they were an enemy nation. Comments and questions? You should live by the sword. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. It sounds vaguely biblical there, doesn't it? All right, 13 to 15.
1: Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon, and for four I will not revoke its punishment, because they ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Reba, and it will consume her citadels amid war cries on the days of battle, and a storm on the day of tempest. Their king will go into exile, and he and his princes together, says the Lord.
0: Dealing with what nation? Now, where did the Ammonites live? East of Gilead. Yes. Now, see the map in your mind. On the right-hand side of the Jordan River, you had that strip of Gilead. What tribes were in Gilead?
1: Half-tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh.
0: Yes. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were supposed to be over there. And then, just to the right of that, were the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites had a problem, in practical terms, whenever they wanted to grow their nation. Because to the right of them was what? Desert. 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 To the left of them, Gilead. Guess which way they'd go when they wanted to enlarge their territory. (laughs) It wasn't the desert. (laughs) And uh, so, where did the Ammonites come from, by the way? Lot. Lot. Remember Lot and his daughters and that... uh, infamous episodes. Um, So what's Ammon being condemned for here?
2: Ripping open pregnant women?
0: Yes. Ripping open the pregnant women of Gilead to enlarge their borders. Sounds like a really pleasant thing to do. Why would you do that? I'm guessing the population. Yeah, well that probably would uh, cut down on the population wonder if there's some terrorizing in that too, trying to, you know, strike fear into the hearts of the Gileadites to where they would submit to the Ammonites. Certainly this is a very, um, you know, crude uh, greed and ambition for territory. And it's so typical of the Ammonites, as I suggested. It's common for Ammon to encroach upon Israelite territory in Gilead to try to expand their holdings. Can you think of some other um, passages or 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 situations in which you see the Ammonites invading Gilead? That'll make you think.
1: It's
0: pretty vague during the judges. uh, Yes. Which judge? (laughs) Gideon? uh, No, that was the Midianites. There was a judge that had a long dialogue with the Ammonites about who really ought to own that territory of Gilead. Jephthah. Jephthah. Yeah. In uh, Judges 11, he uh, had about a 16-verse uh, uh, diatribe on that and basically said, it's ours, not yours. And we have every right to it. And he has pretty good arguments about that. Jeff always was a pretty good talker. <laughs> and uh, But the Gileadites were trying to lay claim to this territory. They claimed that Israel stole it from them, uh, which was not the case. Um, and then... In the United Kingdom period, do you remember a time when the Ammonites tried to encroach on the territory of Gilead, particularly the city of Jabesh, Gilead? Saul. Saul, his first kingly act was rescuing Jabesh Gilead from the hand of which king of the Ammonites? Anybody remember? Nahash. that? Uh, that's in 1 Samuel 11. Uh, remember what Nahash wanted to do to the people of Jabesh Gilead? Poke out their, eye. Poke out their uh, right, right eye. eye. That has to do with how they would hold the shield up covering their left eye poke out their right eye and they're going to be more defenseless can't really engage in war but still can earn money for the you know, Ammonites Uh, Zephaniah 2 also mentions this aspect of Ammonite uh, you know, character Uh, Zephaniah 2, uh, 8 talks about Moab and Ammon and how they taunted my people and became arrogant against their territory Um, now Uh, actually the nation of Ammon has given their name to a modern city you know what think about where Ammon was many of you know your current geography it's a capital city of a country in the world Ammonites? Uh, well, Ammon. You heard of Amon Jordan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's from the Ammonites. That was the territory they were occupied.
2: So we should be calling them Ammon. <laughs> and apparently,
0: apparently Ammon is actually on the site of the ancient Rabbah. It's mentioned in verse 14. So. so what was God going to do to the Ammonites here?
1: more
0: fire, yeah. less citadels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And more, exiled, more King exile. King and them. <laughs> and yep. All those other people get to go home? Think... Ah, <laughs> uh, you hope so. I don't know. And I don't know if Edom, I suspect Edom may have just been the slave broker. They may not have been actually the ones that kept all the slaves, but they sold them on to other nations I don't know alright any questions or comments on chapter 1 chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 thus says the
1: Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke the punishment because he burned the line the bones of the king of Edom so I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth. Moab shall die amid uproar amid shouting in the sound of the trumpet. I'll cut off the ruler from
0: its midst and will kill all its princes with him. I one nation here oh says the Lord sorry what nation here?
2: Moab.
0: And where was Moab? So right. east. Yeah. Sort of between Edom and Ammon. And the Moabites came from who? Of lot lot. Yeah, no, a lot, and another one of his daughters. So we're dealing with, uh, you know, cousin nations, I guess. Uh, I really like this one. I find this very interesting. What was the crime of Moab? Burning the bones of King of Edom. Now, why would God care whether the Moabites burned the King of Edom's bones or not?
1: question. Was this before or after verse eleven? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Does it make a difference? God's the one who judges not Noah.
0: Okay. Yes. I mean this is a an act of um, disgrace, dishonor. It's uh pride. Yes. And God cares about crimes the Moabites commit against the Edomites. We expected God to care about the crimes that nations committed against His people. But God cares about the crimes they commit against each other. God was not the private deity of Israel. God is not just concerned about other nations' interaction with Israel. He's concerned about their interaction with each other, His norms... Apply in international relations as well as in relations with his people. That is significant. God sees a crime Moab commits against Edom, and He's going to judge Moab for that. It's I think it's really helpful to understand that principle about God, and something that in the ancient world they didn't they didn't see. They thought of each nation's having sort of their own God, but God's the God of all, and. So he's going to punish the Moabites for what they did to Edom. And appropriately here, though it's been true everywhere we've looked, uh, they burn the bones of the king of Edom to lime, so he sends fire on Moab to consume its citadels. And Moab dies, and her judge and princes are slain. Kind of like king for king here. Comments and questions about this Moabite oracle.
1: Kiryolf was one of the, I'm guessing, in verse 2, one of the major cities in Moab? That's
0: what I'm guessing, too.
1: And the Israelites are still in favor of this so far? Or it's just getting too close to home?
0: Ah, the Moabites were enemies.
1: Right, they, I mean, they were related, but they don't, they never had a family relationship. That's right. Well, then some families.
0: <laughs> 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 right. We have gone from enemy nations to ally nations to cousin nations and wonder what's coming next.
1: End of his popularity.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. They
1: were located south, southeast or east, south, yeah. east
0: southeast. <laughs> How about just southeast? They're
2: between they, Ammon they, and Edom.
0: Yeah, between Ammon and Edom. Just right on the right-hand side of the right Dead right Sea. There,
2: above, right here. above Edom. Is
0: Eden Miller. Well, okay. Eden. No. I have a cool little map right here. That's cool. I don't have a cool little map right here. <laughs> East, southeast. East, southeast. All right. Four and five.
2: Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke its punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their lies also have led them astray those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem.
0: Another one of the shorter oracles like the ones against Tyre and Edom. But here he's dealing with Judah. The, the sibling nation. So it's enemy, ally, kinsman, sister. And uh, the noose is tightening around Israel's neck. Now they are geographically encircled with indicted nations. And uh, I suspect now we're beginning to see where this is headed. And it's interesting that he uses the very same format, the very same pattern to deal with Judah. He is not seeing Judah as any better than a foreign nation. And what's he condemning Judah for here? Rejecting God. Yes. Rejecting God's law. Now that's different. Because... God held Judah to a higher standard, not just to standards of basic human morality and human rights, but to actually faithfulness to God's law and God's specific statutes that they did not follow. They rejected those divine uh, teachings. And uh, they they perpetuated that in subsequent generations. Therefore, God was going to send fire and consume the (coughs) sun. Comments and questions.
1: Time of Hezekiah, they weren't this they weren't that bad. Now I think about it, but I guess they had some internal problems. And we see it them in the
0: in this time they weren't that bad. This is before the time of Hezekiah. Okay. Hezekiah improved things. That's right, And this is the time of okay. Isaiah And uh, they were good and bad and they were just day. gonna get worse. Yeah, they, especially uh, Isaiah's uh, son. Mm-hmm. Son? Ahaz? I think I might. Son or grandson?
2: Grandson. Was Jotham.
0: Jotham? is in between Azaiah and Ahaz, okay. Yeah, that's right. All right, anything else? Do five. Well, now we lower the boom, six to eight.
2: says the Lord for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke his punishment, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. These who paint after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless also turn aside the way of the humble, and a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. On garments taken as pledges they stretch out beside every altar, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined.
0: Okay. Um, this is Israel. They're in the same boat, same formula. I will not revoke its punishment. Now what was he condemning Israel for here?
2: Greed.
0: Yes. Greed in doing what?
2: Selling the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals.
0: Yes. Just exploiting innocent people for their own gain devaluing human life, panning after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless, I'm not sure that I know what that means but it looks to me like they're begrudging the very ground the poor man walks on. Uh, they are willing to take advantage of anybody to, to increase themselves um, and what else were they guilty of?
1: turn aside the way of the
0: humble. Yes. So they are uh, very much taking advantage of vulnerable people. What else? Sexual
2: immorality.
0: Yeah, a man and his father resort to the same girl. That's pretty gross. You know. Shoot. <laughs> man, if, if things are that bad in Israel, no wonder God's not going to revoke his punishment. And uh, And then they stretched out before the altar on what? (laughs) Garments taken as were What were they supposed to do with garments taken from the poor as collateral? Give
1: them back before
0: evening. Yes, because the poor man would need it to keep warm overnight. They'll go to worship at a feast with garments that legally belong to those poor people they would taken them from. And what were they doing in the house of their God? Which probably they shouldn't have been drunk in the house of God and shouldn't have been using ill-gotten gain you know from their perversion of the judicial system in order to get that wine. So everything you see in them was outrageous. Somebody pointed this out to me. I don't know if it's you know I don't know how much stock to put in this but I thought it was kind of cool. I don't remember who pointed this out. But uh you can see crimes from their ancient history recurring here. Does it remind you anything of, say, um, the family of Jacob in some of these crimes?
1: Mm-hmm. What do you see? Oh, Jacob's wives or concubines was taken by his son. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, was it Reuben? Yes, that's true. Reuben and his father had the same concubine, and Judah and his sons had the same woman. What else do you see in this that would remind you of things in Jacob's family? They sold. Um, yes. That yeah, one guy. They sold that one guy, <laughs> Joseph, for money. That's right, and. I wonder about Joseph's code in connection with verse 8 uh, so I don't know if there's anything really to that but I just thought it was curious um, comments and questions through verse 8 do
2: you know a scripture reference off the top of your head for a woman.
0: Yeah, I think it's Genesis thirty-five, twenty-one, and 22 or something like that. That's Genesis 38. I love that one.
1: On these, he uses the same phrase over and over for three transgressions and for four. Uh, I'm assuming that's just a figure of speech or a
0: yeah. phrase. Yeah, I think so. Because I don't
1: know if any of on them list four.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the point is, you know, I'd have done it, I think the point is, I'd have done it for three. You know, that, that was already, you know, a lot. And then they just added, they, they went over the top with four. You know, I, it's a stylistic thing you see sometimes in the Bible. Um, you know, Proverbs does some things with that stylistic uh, expression. If I can get my uh, Bible open here. Uh, like in Proverbs 6:16, uh, 6, 16, there's six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. I mean, the point is, it's just, you know, uh, six is a lot and even there's seven. Or in Proverbs 30, uh, verse uh, 15 and also 30, verse 18 and 30, verse 21, you know, there are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. Under three things the earthquakes, and under four it cannot bear up, and so forth. And also 30.29 uh, Proverbs. So I think it's just kind of, a, kind of a rhetorical expression. I don't think it really is necessarily intended only to be counted. but just saying, you know, three would do it, they've done four. All right. Anything else uh, through two eight? All right. How about nine to twelve?
1: Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, though his height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. I even destroyed his fruit above, above, and his root below. And it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And I led you in the wilderness forty years that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets, and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is this not so, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy.
0: This is a typical thing that will be done in some of these passages. In contrast with their wicked, sinful behavior... God talks about what?
2: Well, He did for
0: them. Yes. Which puts their sinfulness in even a worse light. They're doing this after all God had done for them. After He had done what? Destroyed the Amorite? Yes. After He had um, wiped out the prior inhabitants of the land... And had brought them up from Egypt, led them through the wilderness the forty years, and they have never gotten through there without God's provision, and and gave them possession of this land. Look at all that God had done for them. They owe everything they have and everything they are, they are in their very existence, to all the blessings and care and provision the Lord had given them. And um, and then. If that weren't enough, in verse eleven, what had God given them? Prophets. Prophets and the Nazarites. <coughs> Nazarites. The prophets for what purpose? <coughs> to talk to
2: people from
0: God. Yes, to declare messages from God for the people. What a blessing! They actually have direct communication with God. Gave the Nazarites for what? <laughs> what do you know about Nazarites?
1: You took a vow, shaved your heads. You didn't drink wine.
0: Yes, and didn't. Yes, and didn't.
1: I thought they weren't allowed to shave their heads
0: they didn't cut their hair they'd shaved their head at the before just as the before the vow started and then they wouldn't cut their hair during the whole term of the vow wouldn't have any contact with grapes or grape products or with uh, dead bodies and this vow of the Nazarite by the way where do you find that vow in the Bible number six yes that vow was for what real purpose? Be separated from the Lord. Yes, I think so. There was a vow of special dedication to God and special holiness and purity during a period of time. Normally, a limited period of time. You know, I'm going to take a vow of the Nazarite for, I don't know, two months or whatever. I don't know what the standard time was. Although, there were a few notable cases of lifetime Nazarites,
2: Samson
0: Samson is the most notable case, probably also Samuel and John the Baptist. Very likely those were lifetime Nazarites as well. So God gave the Nazarites to do what?
2: To show them that they're separate, you know, these people are separate and apart from
0: God, just sort of a visual of, that they're separate and apart from God? I think so. To, to give them a model of dedication to God. I think that's exactly right. He sent the prophets to give them the message of God, and he sent the Nazarites to give them an example of holy living. And then God says in the latter part of verse 11. He sort of forces them to sign their own judgment papers. Is this not so, O sons of Israel? You tell me, did I do those things for you or not? So you've got the contrast between the saving acts of God and the sinful acts of Israel. And he says, tell me, did I do it for you or not? Well, of course he did. But look what they did even in verse 12. What did they do?
1: Made the
0: Nazareth drink wine. And, and? told the
1: prophets not to
0: prophesy. So they rejected these very blessings that God gave them. Why would they have wanted the prophets not to prophesy? I didn't want to hear it. Absolutely. They got tired of listening to God's message. What a great blessing that they had it. But they didn't, they, you know, they didn't want to know the truth. Made them feel bad. <laughs>
2: Cool.
0: Yeah, you know it, it's it's a shame, but that's the way they Why would they want the Nazarites to drink wine? So they wouldn't be set apart. They'd
2: seem like more like they were themselves.
0: Yes. Why do wicked people want to corrupt Christians? Yeah, so bad exactly. Don't you see that happening sometimes? You know, it's like they want to get Christians to make compromises, so that then it's like, well, you're no better than I am worldly minded people are uncomfortable with people who have messages from God and people who live lives that are holy and pure. They don't want to see spirituality lived and they don't want to hear God's message. And so rather than encouraging the Nazarites to keep their vow, they tried to encourage them to sin. So they wouldn't be embarrassed by having an example that exposed and rebuked their you know, half-heartedness and and unholy lives. So they take God's blessings (laughs) and reject them. Isn't that outrageous? All right, comments or questions to this point. All right, let's do this next section. then I'll give you a break. 13 to 16.
1: hold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. The shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not be stamped, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord.
0: So, God is pretty strong in in his response to this, in what he'll do. And he's going to basically crush his people. They've um, heaped up a great weight of God's wrath that's going to come down on them, and they're not going to be able to get away. Uh, Not even those who have special abilities or special weapons. He specifically mentions which people that can't escape. The mighty man, the mighty man and Star. swift and the stalwart and
2: <coughs>
0: the good archer and horseback yeah and even the most brave among them. You know all the qualities that you would think might give you an edge won't make any difference because when God decides to punish just what will you do to escape it? What kind of ability does does anyone have to escape God's judgments? Israel's fate would be decided by God's determination not by their ability and he closes, declares the Lord. Everything Amos is saying has the indelible stamp of God's authority This is not Amos' ideas. This is God's message to them. He is going to crush them and they can't escape because they have abused the goodness and grace of God in all that he'd given them. Comments and questions? But, well, why don't we take a break, and uh, then we'll work on some more of this. I just, we got through a pretty good chunk there in one session, so that's cool.